Hello, Clash fans, and welcome to another episode of Inside Clash with Trample Damage. I'm your host, Jean-Philippe Beauregard XVII, Chancellor of Antarctica. Today we are going to be talking to you about balance in the game, which incidentally is a question that was posed by one of my favorite new in-game friends, Magnus, uh, who is a part of the Clash Files family. And he had asked one of the questions of how do you feel over about the overall balance of the game, and that is a topic I'm going to be covering as my main topic for today. And then we will get into the math behind spending gems to avoid waiting times in the game, because that's kind of a fascinating subject that I don't think a lot of people know a bunch about. Out. And then, of course, we will get into questions from the audience. Trample damage bringing you some clash today. Words of wisdom and humor are on display. All the tips and tricks are simple to convey. Town Hall 15 really sucks my brain to damage. Okay, so let's just dive right into the question of balance in Clash of Clans. I have been on record as saying that I hate Town Hall 15 with a passion. I was recently a guest on the Pineapples and Thorns podcast, and they asked what is one thing I would remove from the game if I could, and I said Town Hall 15. And I said it kind of jokingly, but it is an absolute nightmare. It is nothing like we have been dealing with for the last couple of Town Halls, and I don't necessarily love where we are at. I do believe if we want to just talk about the lower town halls for a moment, uh, like the, the balance of the lower town halls I think is fine. If you put a lot of very hard thought into looking around what a base is laid out like, and you are using a couple of different armies in your brain of what I might choose to attack this base looking at the layout, I think the lower town halls are all completely manageable. Obviously, the addition of Town Hall 10 and 11 siege machines in the clan castle, those town halls were not designed with siege machines specifically to be used, and so it's those are probably a little bit too easy with the siege machines. And, of course, using a Flame Flinger at Town Hall 12 is you know, a little bit more, you know powerful than it was originally designed to be because the Flame Flinger was not released for Town Hall 12. But some of those nuances aside, I feel good about the balance for the lower Town Halls. I think part of how I am measuring this is if every single player on every single attack got three stars with very little thought, I would think it was too easy. If a decent amount of thought made people be able to get three stars on every attack, I would still feel like it's a little bit too easy. I think back to a game that I was playing not too long after I started playing Clash of Clans called Samurai Siege. It basically was a, a ripoff of Clash of Clans, but a samurai-themed Clash of Clans. And they had these things where you could buy, using maybe like the equivalent of raid medals, uh, you could buy like seasonal troops or temporary troops that would literally be deployed with every attack. So imagine you could get like a mini Barbarian King that would go into every single attack. Or you could get like a bonus P.E.K.K.A. that would go into every single attack. And you could have these things for an entire week. So what would happen is people would buy like all the bonus troops. And then they would wind up deploying this like one mass camp of bonus troops on each attack. And the bonus troops would basically be able to wipe out the highest castle level almost by themselves with just a few extra troops splashed in there. That is far too unbalanced in favor of offense because there's it, like, it didn't matter what you set your defenses up like. The game was just all about attacking. I don't think that's a healthy place for the game to be. At the same time, I also don't think it's a healthy situation where, let's say that Town Hall 15, instead of having a monolith and two spell towers, came with four monoliths and six spell towers. Everybody, I think, consistently would, would argue that that would be far too powerful if the troops and heroes and pets were what they are currently set up as for Town Hall 15. A two-star 
against a town hall with four monoliths and six bell towers would be an absolute miracle, because that would be so incredibly complicated to try to power through. So even if you were like the best player in the world, getting one star with a you know 65% one star might be an epic attack if you were up against four monoliths and six spell towers, people would not be having fun. Because even if you were like one of the best players, but it was so punishingly difficult, people would not be enjoying themselves. Now, I'm not going to argue that Town Hall 15 is in that same place, but I think back to a lot of the competitive tournaments that I saw when Town Hall 14 was up, and yes, there were a lot of final scores of wars of 14 to 15, or 14-14 and it's a percentage tiebreak, or 13-15, which was kind of a route. But if you had, you know, good solid professional players running at an 80% triple rate, to me, that actually is not a bad thing, even if you were up to a 90% as a triple rate, because that is the very upper end of the spectrum. And I know that there's a gap between professional players and really good consistent players. There's a gap between really good consistent players and people like me who just play a ton and think about the game. There's a gap between people like me and regular, just average clashers who like the game and like the camaraderie and they like developing their village, but they don't necessarily spend a whole lot of time pressuring themselves to learn and master new strategies. And then you get into people who just are terrible at attacking or they completely rush their bases and their heroes are underleveled and their troops are underleveled, so they don't stand a chance anyway. But for a, I feel like for a reasonable meta, professional players having a hit rate and a triple rate of somewhere between... 80 and 85%, I think is perfectly fine. And if the average clasher who puts a decent amount of thought into it and practices different meta strategies and you know, employs a decent amount of logic and reason as they move into an attack, if they're sitting at a 45 to 50% triple rate, I feel like that's really healthy because I don't think this is a thing where we should think about it where we grade on a curve where it's like, oh, well, I got one triple last clan war league and five of my clan mates got zero triples. Therefore, I'm better than a lot of my clan mates just because I got one triple. That has, especially coming off of Town Hall 14, where we had a, a I will say, a better balance. You describe it however you want. It was easier, but it still took thought. When... I know when Super Dragons came out, it was like, oh, Super Dragons are so easy to triple with, but Supercell made some balances accordingly because we don't want it to be too easy. But with an appropriate amount of planning and thought, I feel like good, consistent clashers who are practicing a lot in a war attack should probably be able to get to a 40%, 45% triple rate. And I say this for multiple reasons, foremost of which I feel like is the player psyche. So many Town Hall 15 players I have talked to have actually taken a break from the game recently or said something along the lines of, man, I'm really considering quitting because I feel like I'm meeting with such a low amount of success with the game. To me, clearly that means we need it to be, I mean, you know, we call a spade a spade, right? We're talking about wanting it to be easier. I talked a lot when Town Hall 15 first came out about the power level of the Rage Spell Tower, the Poison Spell, and the Invisibility Spell Tower. And I talked a lot on the Clash Tips podcast in one of the episodes about how I felt like they were all equally devastating. And I was kind of told, no, the Rage Tower is not that great. Like the Poison Tower can wipe out an army and the Invisibility Spell Tower can completely warp the way you have to make your attack. And I agree with both of those assertions. But I said at the time, the Rage Spell Tower, allowing your buildings to deal double damage, if you have three or four buildings in range of a Rage Tower, when you think about that as a Town Hall 15, it's not just going up against the new defense of the monolith, but that rage spell tower, it's like it added 
an expo, a scatter shot, and an inferno tower. Or it added even just an expo and a multi-target inferno tower. Those additional buildings, because that's essentially what they are. Granted, they're stacked on top of each other, but all that damage is so powerful especially when it winds up catching you, not necessarily by surprise, but in the middle of an attack. Obviously, the Poison Spell Tower is able to wipe out nearly an entire army on its own if the troops are not spread out enough. Between the Poison Bomb for the Town Hall, two Poison Spell Towers, or the Poison Bomb for the Town Hall with the Monolith and a couple of Rage Spell Towers, like there's just so much that we are up against, and the triple rates have gone down so much that I honestly don't feel like the game is in a really healthy place. I've seen so many people get very, very frustrated because, you know, they plan an attack and they, they're they really giving it a lot of thought and they come away with a 72% two-star. And almost, you know, the majority of the attack strategies people are using are dependent on a super archer blimp, at least the majority of the most common attacks. It's like either a flame flinger with a zap titan attack or it is a super archer blimp. And it feels like an oppressive meta, essentially. I think about, like, I play Magic the Gathering, and periodically Wizards of the Coast will ban a card in a format, or multiple cards, if the meta is so warped around those cards. And I feel like Town Hall 15 is so warped around how strong the defenses are that there probably should be, uh, I don't know, like troops get better levels when we reach the midway point and we get an update, or possibly there would be some additional nerf that would potentially come with these spell towers. Now, I do wind up having a lot of people, they make a very fair argument, if everybody triples every single time on their attacking, it's no fun. But even for, like, as I'm using air quotes here, as easy as Town Hall 14 was, we pushed in the good guys all the way to Champ 1. And we didn't do it having 45 stars every war. We would have, like, the, the war, the Clan War League week that we won Champ 2 and promoted to Champ 1, I think we averaged 37 stars, maybe 38 stars, like 37 and change in each of the wars. So that's a roughly 50% triple rate. That's not everybody's tripling all the time. Maybe the pros were sitting at a much higher triple rate, but when good solid people, and we, look, we spent time, we spent money, we spent effort, we are looking at videos online, we are creating content for people. Like there's a lot of stuff we're doing to make sure that we're fully immersed in the meta and understanding what's going on in the game. And when we can't hit a lot of times, like, and we're staying right now, like, so we demoted from champ one to champ two, we lost a couple of our best players, and unfortunately, that hurts, but even with what's left of our team, we are staying in champ two, we finished last month in third place in champ two, averaging 32 and a half stars per war, so that's 2.5 stars out of 15 hits, we are sitting well below a 20% triple rate, and that's enough to basically finish third in a champ two war. Now, I would rather that getting a 45 or 50% triple rate and then finishing third in champ two. I would much rather be there because of the sense of accomplishment, feeling of happiness, the camaraderie that comes with, hey, good job. We feel so much better celebrating those successes. And again, I'm not saying it's like, you know, we're not trying to give people a PhD because they finished kindergarten. I just feel like it is too hard right now especially for players that were starting to meet with some success at Town Hall 14. And I do hope that, you know, whether it's new troop levels coming in the next update, or if it is, I don't know, new super troops that help create some additional opportunities for us, or some maybe buffs for existing troops, or buffs for existing spells, or additional hero levels, or something to help take the edge off how punishingly difficult Town Hall 15 is, I would be incredibly happy to see that, and I would 100% get on that bus. So 
that is my take on where we're sitting with the overall balance of the game. Which, of course, brings us to the next topic. Spending money! So I have spent a lot of money on the game over the years. People ask me how much I've spent, and I usually tell them, go check out the first podcast that I recorded called Inside Clash with Trample Damage. Or you could just, I'll tell you the answer. I, I think I spend, you know, somewhere around like $3 a day. That's my guess. So, you know, over the, the years that I've been playing, I think I'm somewhere around like 9000 or $9,500 worth of uh, money that I spent on the game, which good for me. But my uh, content creation is helping to chip away at the expense that I have put into Clash of Clans over the years. When I first started playing, I, I love the game. The game is so much fun to me. It gives me a challenge. It makes me excited. I love the camaraderie. It's, a, it's like a team thing, but a solo thing. I love the game. Early on, I always wanted my heroes up so that I could war. So I would loot a bunch of Dark Elixir, and then I would spend gems to upgrade my hero, to skip the waiting time. I never bought resources. I didn't buy Dark Elixir. I didn't buy Elixir. I just spent money on the game strictly to avoid waiting a week for my heroes to heal. And in the beginning, it was roughly a 1,000 gems to skip upgrading for a week for your heroes, which I was always happy that they were capped a one-week upgrade. So I basically looked at it as... You know, I'm paying $7 roughly because at the time, you know, if I bought a $100 uh, gem pack with 14,000 gems, I basically wind up getting somewhere in the neighborhood of spending, you know, call it roughly $7, 7 to seven fifty for a week of avoiding hero time upgrades. And to me, absolutely good deal. That is a valid way for me to spend my time and my money where I have a whole extra week of having both my heroes when, you know, I'm looking at Town Hall 9 or 10. Very fair proposition. Now, since I've been playing, of course, I have used most of the magic items at some point, largely with the advent of the gold pass. But one of the ways I still wind up spending money on this game to this day is by paying to avoid my hero upgrade times. One of my favorite ways of doing that is by buying the Book of Heroes in the trader shop each week for 500 gems. I love that as a deal, but I always always just gemmed my heroes, and the advent of Book of Heroes was awesome. So one of the things people don't necessarily think about or understand, maybe you do but you don't fully understand, is if you have one minute that you're waiting for something and you want to gem that, it's going to cost you one gem. Which, if you were to say, well, one minute for one gem, that works out to 60 gems per hour. That's a very expensive proposition. Because if you said, well, you know, I've got some you know, Eagle Artillery-esque 19-day upgrade that I wanted to do, that would cost, at one at one gem per minute, that would cost 27,360 gems for a 19-day upgrade. Obviously, nobody is spending nearly 30,000 gems to be able to skip waiting, and that's because we start getting some economies of scale, meaning as the amount of time that the upgrade or the builder has increases, the number of gems that we have to spend per minute or per hour will decrease. A very simple example, you move from one minute to five minutes. At five minutes, it's two gems to finish a five-minute wait time, which means you're cutting your gem cost per hour from 60 gems per hour to 24 gems per hour. If you were to move that up to, say, a one-hour upgrade, at 60 minutes, you have roughly 19 gems that you wind up having to spend, which works out to 19 gems per hour. So we're already at a one-hour mark. We're at a third of the cost in gems per hour than you'd be at for a single minute. When you wind up watching that continue to expand and you start looking at the gem price per hour, or thought of another way, the number of minutes of builder time you avoid waiting by spending, 
your gem cost per hour winds up going down. By the time you hit the one week mark, you basically are at the point where you're basically spending six gems per hour for an upgrade. So that's to say a seven-day period will cost you just over a thousand gems, call it right at a thousand gems, which puts you to just barely under six gems per hour. Now, much like anything that if you think about like a diminishing curve, diminishing returns curve, or if you think about where you start picking up some economies of scale, the incremental expense that's associated with some of those gains are going to be smaller. It's much the same with the gems. By the time you start getting out to around a week of waiting, you're sitting very closely in these six gems per hour time frame. So like a one week upgrade, you're at 5.98 gems per hour. Even by the time you get out to a two week upgrade, you're only sitting at like 5.56 gems per hour. So there's still a reduction when you move from one week out to two weeks, but it's actually not a very big gain at that point. Anything past a week, you're still roughly in the neighborhood of paying, call it roughly a thousand gems to avoid the week of waiting time. I was curious if the Supercell team would be willing, here comes my in side clash component, I wanted to see if they were willing to share the exact formula that would be associated with the time that it takes to have a build or complete something. And what I found out, which is kind of what I already knew, is that it is called, it's a, it's defined as a piecewise linear function. So it's essentially to say that there are multiple functions that are involved and they are broken out over time. I just burped. I hope you guys didn't hear that. I'm going to hopefully leave that in there. There's some personality for you. It's trample damage burping. The the piecewise linear function that is is in place here is essentially what allows the curve to start to smooth out or flatten out over time. It's not a pure linear function where it's like one gem per minute and you know a 19-day upgrade costs you 27,000 gems. But at the same time, it's not something that has a perfectly smooth curve, right? The curve is... It's a, it's a logarithmic curve that they have they have designed by building a piecewise linear function. I asked how many pieces there are to it, and I was told I was guessing that there were going to be like eight or nine pieces to it. I was told that there are four pieces to it. Uh, I'm not going to go into the the brain damage behind exactly what that looks like, but if we were to try and oversimplify it, uh, you would essentially think about having like a a linear function that is defined to help express the cost on a per day basis, on a per week basis, a per hour basis, and a per minute basis. And when you wind up combining all of those functions, and they are linear in nature, but they are, as you start with a larger time frame, and you essentially back into adding the different pieces to this, it becomes what looks like a logarithmic curve. So like if you look at the curve of the natural logarithm, it is the inverse of, or the mirror of the exponential function. If you guys remember from algebra, y equals x squared, it's a curve that starts to slope up and then very quickly it becomes a near vertical line. And the logarithmic function kind of does the same thing but sort of on its side. It starts out very, very expensive in terms of the number of gems that you're spending or the, rather the number of minutes that you're getting for each gem that you spend and then it really quickly starts to flatten out. What this means for us is, you know, you got a one-day upgrade and you think, oh, well, you know, it's not that not that much time left in my one-day upgrade, but your one-day upgrade for 24 hours costing you close to 300, we'll call it two, 260 gems, 259 gems for a one-day upgrade. But a two-day upgrade costs you 388 gems. So if you were to just take the 259 for one day and double it, you'd be sitting at 518 gems, but instead you're only at 388 because you're picking up substantial economies of scale. And the same applies as things go out. So one of the things I wind up recommending to people very heavily is don't wind up spending gems for the waiting times for stuff when there's not a whole lot of time left because you're not actually getting a lot of bang for your buck. You're actually a lot better off doing something like using a builder potion or saving your builder potion for when you only have an hour or so left 
versus if you were going to wind up spending your gems. Because you know the example I gave earlier, the 19-day upgrade, you're spending roughly five and a half gems per hour versus maybe spending 10 or 12 or 14 gems per hour, which of course is a substantially more expensive proposition. Now, if you are buying things through the Supercell store, they do have a 14,000 pack of gems available for $100, which is the same deal you can buy in-game, but they give you 10% bonus, which means you could buy 15,400 gems, and that is at a cost of $100. So as I said, when you get to about a week and you go up from there, it's roughly six-ish gems per hour to pay for whatever your upgrades are. So let's just use that as a benchmark and say six gems per hour. What you would basically be saying is for $100 you buy in the Supercell store with your 10% bonus, 15,400 gems. If you take the 15,400 gems and you look at the dollars that go into that, and you divide the number of gems by six, you'd say you get about 2,567 hours of upgrade time for your $100, which works out to roughly just shy of $0.04 cents per hour which is roughly 93 and a half cents per day, which is roughly $6.50 per week, which when I think back to when I was first playing and I was at Town Hall 9 and 10 upgrading my king and queen for a week at a time spending a thousand gems, that was costing me roughly $7 and change. It's basically the same rate that you're sitting at today, but that is the most cost-effective way to wind up spending your gems. I feel like I ran on far too long with that segment. Hopefully you guys are not bored. I did have a great suggestion from one of my real-life people, one of my former coworkers who was kind enough to check out my podcast and give me some feedback. He said, you should do a Reddit post showing all the cool stuff that you put together in your more numeric mathematical segment and post that on Reddit. So I think it's a wonderful idea. I will probably go back and do that for the first three podcasts and also do that for this one. Uh, if you're listening to this shortly after I posted it, then I hope you were able to imagine all of the stuff that I said without needing paper in front of you. With that, we will move on to questions from the audience. And I have a couple of shorter questions today, so I'm going to hit a few more. Plus, people have been super kind and friendly, and they've been posting a lot of questions, so I actually have a lot of stuff in there that I'd like to get through eventually. I might have to do a whole episode or a whole podcast about just answering some of these questions. Uh, I am going to start with an easy question from Duck. Uh, how frequently will you record? My goal is to record once a week. That's the game plan. I feel like it's a nice cadence, and if I'm keeping these to around 30 minutes or so apiece, you know, it's probably 30 minutes of recording and then another hour or so of cutting out fart sounds and burp sounds and stopping to take a drink of water but for the most part you know call it an hour and a half or so to put this together and I feel like I could consistently throw that in there and honestly I love listening to myself talk so very fun way for me to spend my time uh, the second question that I'm going to go through is coming from young grasshopper can you talk about shop bundles and the best ones to buy and the best value for bundle packs so obviously I am using this question here because the topic we were just discussing of the gem cost Here's what I will say about the packs in store. Use code TRAMPLE. Um, if you do if you do wind up buying anything in the store, of course, I do appreciate the support. I personally like when they do new town halls. I like buying all those bundles because they'll give you know they give you like here's like eight books of building and ten hero books and I like that stuff because I love playing with all the shiny new toys, so I wind up spending that money on that stuff. Let's go to a world where the average player isn't actually doing all that stuff and they're on the lookout for the best deals and the best values in the store. Here's what I will say about the stuff that I tend to buy in store. Anytime I have a book of heroes that's available for $5 or less, that beats the roughly $7.50 or if I was buying $100 gem packs from my town halls, that beats the $6.50 price point for a week of hero upgrade time. So if I see a book of heroes for $5 or less, I definitely wind up picking that up. Uh, for the same reason, I always buy, for any town hall that's not maxed, I'll buy the 500 gem Book of Heroes every week in the store. 
I always buy books of builder if they are at a dollar or less per book of builder because the value proposition that I wind up getting out of that extra day, especially when I am using it when there's like a day and a half left on a couple of things that are upgrading, I like being able to use the builder potions toward the end of the upgrade times because those are actually the more expensive upgrade times. Like, you know, if you're going to wind up spending gems or using books, you want to use those when the upgrade time is longer because you're actually getting your value out of it. So it's like when there are shorter times left on an upgrade, I like to use the builder potions and a dollar a piece on the builder potions tend to make sense for me. Same thing applies on the research potions. A lot of people, you will finish your buildings and your walls and your heroes before you finish your lab. The research potions are a great way to balance those out. It's also one of the reasons why I often recommend to people that they use their raid medals to buy research potions in the shop. So that's my general... I, I don't ever like to buy resources. I don't spend on gold. I don't spend on elixir. I don't spend on runes of gold. I don't spend on runes of elixir. Periodically, if they have a super cheap rune of dark elixir, I will buy one of those. But it, for me, it usually has to be something that works out to less than like eight or 10 bucks because yes, you can get 300 plus thousand dark elixir and that could very easily be, you know, 50 good raids of dark elixir and i like that that time value proposition but i generally prefer to just loot for my resources and then spend my gems or my money in game on stuff that will speed the times as opposed to giving me the resources because part of the fun of the game is capturing and collecting those resources uh, my next question is a combination so both liam and magnus asked a question about what got me into content creation and i think that there is an element of narcissism here because i really do think i'm amazing and i'm a big fan, i'm a big fan of myself but truthfully when i when i got started playing clash of clans i got started playing clash of clans because it was i had fun with the social aspect of playing a game with my family and my friends and my coworkers that didn't necessarily involve us having to sit in front of each other all the time but we could still sort of have that like check in throughout the day in a very group friendly way so it's like a group text but it doesn't annoy the crap out of you when you get a group text ding message or whatever because like five people are trying to talk to each other back and forth but my son is actually who got me started into content creation because he was really excited about some stuff he wanted to create and then he was very encouraging and my wife was really encouraging and you know my my daughter jumped in as well and eventually started offering to help with some of the different pieces of my content creation and giving me tips on things and it was it was something that my family was just so loving and supporting about and then eventually the community became loving and supporting and i just really like the game so that is what got me into content creation uh question from frederic who has given me quite a few really cool questions to answer uh this most recent one because of the builder base 2.0 update which armies do you use in builder base i will say i am really boring i still most of my builder base attacks i still don't do the second <laughs> i still don't do the second level i usually just like spam some giants and some wall breakers and some cannon carts um, that was what I did literally for all my attacks, largely because, you know, the upgrade of a level 18 cannon cart was required to be able to get the six builder. And so I made armies that were, you know, heavily dependent on the cannon cart. I don't love the new cannon cart. It's great for strategic attacking. That's not how I play on the builder base. That's honestly not how I play my regular raids. I like to spam stuff in and then close the app so that I get all my stuff. I know that doesn't necessarily jibe with the comment about, you know, gathering resources being one of the fun pieces of the game. But uh, I do I do tend to go for more spammy armies, and I'm still doing that. I have replaced, though, the cannon cart with witches. So what I'm normally doing for my builder base attacks right now is a couple of giants, one bomber, and then the rest witches. 
and I will usually trigger the bomber ability right away and the witch abilities right away. And then I close the app, but I come back in and I usually three star stuff. And so I could certainly be picking up more loot by getting those fourth and fifth and sixth stars, but I'm not yet there. Uh, I do think that from seeing some of the attacks that other people have shared, I think some baby dragon armies and some P.E.K.K.A. armies would definitely be a lot of fun. I'm curious to to tinker a little bit with the drop ships like there's there's some pretty cool uh, army compositions but i'm still using some pretty basic stuff uh the next question coming from liam titan who for, first off liam i want to say thank you so much uh, liam has done uh, a lot of work in organizing all the questions that i've gotten on the podcast completely uh without asking like that's not like i was like hey can anybody help me organize these questions liam like goes in and grabs the questions that were posted on the podcast and not that i have any expectation of this continuing in the future but liam's been organizing the questions on the podcast and keeping them on a spreadsheet so like as i go through i can just pull them off the spreadsheet print up the ones that i'm going to do and then he's been going in and like crossing them off essentially as we go so thank you to liam uh liam asked the question why are your alt clans the good guys all spelled with a z and not an s and i'm <laughs> i'm actually going to wind up asking i'm going to ask the super Zelt team one day if they can change that when i first <laughs> when i first made the good guys too i this was well before i had a huge tiktok following and other social media following so i was not expecting to wind up with a family of good guys clans it was just like an alt clan where people could go and relax and the z was kind of a joke of like we're sort of like relaxing like we're asleep it's like catching some z's and you can go relax in the good guys and i added the number two so that it was very clear which clan was which and then when my TikTok following started getting bigger and people were asking me to create more clans, I was like, oh, well, you know, it's good guys. I'll do good guys, too. And then I did the same. I mean, three. And I did the same thing with four. And then I did the same thing with five, six, and seven. And I wish I didn't. I wish they were all with an S because it confuses people. And I, people that are looking for the clans are like, I can't find them because they're spelling it with an S. I think one day I'll probably wind up asking uh, Supercell if they'd be willing to, ch to change the Zs to Ss on my clans. But we'll see. Uh, so some uh, some kind of like uh, more personal or non-clash related questions. I have one from Jonathan. If you had to wear a Halloween costume every day for the rest of your life, what would you be? Now, I'm not going to wind up picking like a super easy answer and being like, I'd be a dad or I'd be a business person so that I could have some super simple costume. If I had to go through something where I was going to have to wear a Halloween costume every day for the rest of my life, I'm going to work off of the assumption that I could be somewhat more casual. Uh, I don't know. It says every day for the rest of your life. Uh, well, we'll just assume that I, I can, you know, change to clean outfits and whatnot. I would probably pick something like something that gets to wear cargo pants or cargo shorts so that I have like lots of pockets and stuff. Cause I, you know, I bring two phones with me everywhere I go and I always have my keys and chapstick and my wallet. And I tend to have like pens and pencils in my pockets. And so I, I don't know, I'd probably go for something like a, like a park ranger or a, a zookeeper or something that has like a very, you know, like field guide kind of look where I would easily be able to justify something along the lines of like, you know, carpenter looking pants or shorts so that I would always have plenty of room in my pockets for stuff. Uh, if I did have to go with something a little bit more like kind of out there and a little bit more Halloween-y, uh, I, I think I would probably wind up just going as a vampire and being a, like a weird person for people to end up spending time around. Uh, my last question for today is going to be coming from C-Note. Uh, some of these questions, just for reference, I, I, <laughs> I'm a math guy. I have all the questions thanks to Liam in a spreadsheet, and I put a random number generator in here, and I just sort all the questions based on whatever the random number came up with. And the first one that popped up today, which I say for the last question, from C-Note, who also has his own podcast, the Clash Tours podcast, where he travels around and hangs out with different clans and then uh, does podcasts about how, how fun or how um, annoying those clans are. Uh, so his question, 
what is your favorite Magic the Gathering card and why? So I've been playing Magic the Gathering since 1995, and very early on in the game, I really became enamored with a card called Pursuit of Knowledge. First off, I love the name. I am a lifelong learner. I love to read. I love to learn all the time. I am constantly in pursuit of knowledge. And there was a combination that pursuit of knowledge, pursuit of knowledge says, and I love the flavor of the card, and it's part of the reason why I love the card so much and I like the game. Normally, you start your turn in magic by drawing a card. Pursuit of knowledge has an ability that says, skip drawing a card, put a counter on this card. So it's a card that you play and it stays on the battlefield. So you can choose to skip drawing a card and you put a counter on there. And it says if you remove three counters from Pursuit of Knowledge, you can then draw seven cards. You have to sacrifice the Pursuit of Knowledge. But I love the flavor of, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold off right now. I'm not going to learn something today because I'm going to research a little bit. Then I'm going to do that again. The third time you skip drawing a card, you now are able to trigger that, which basically nets you four cards, which is a pretty good deal. The card by itself, however, is not necessarily that great because oftentimes early in the game you can't afford to skip drawing a card, even though the pursuit of knowledge is truly a wonderful and beautiful thing. But there's another card in the game called Sylvan Library that essentially lets you look at the top three cards of your deck each turn and choose the one you want. Because of the wording on the cards and the way the triggers work, you can essentially skip triggering the Sylvan Library, immediately put three study counters on pursuit of knowledge, and draw seven cards. And if you are playing with cards that let you bring enchantments back from your graveyard, you can essentially start abusing Pursuit of Knowledge and Sylvan Library to draw seven cards per turn, which any Magic player can tell you would be a very powerful thing to do. It's one of my favorite combinations that I was playing very early on and has endured as one of my absolute favorite cards throughout the course of the game. So all the fun stuff since we just hit the 30-something minute mark here. I would like to thank everybody for spending this uh, half an hour-ish listening to me ramble on and hopefully enjoy the time that we are spending together i will tell you that i do appreciate all of the support not just on discord not just in game not just from people using my creator code not just from people following me on my social media but i think i just listed everything i really appreciate you guys also taking the time to listen to me ramble on about this game that i love and if you're still here after half an hour you guys love as well i would encourage you to join my discord server and follow me on all my social media stuff because that helps and of course use code trample because that helps i am going going to be doing gold pass giveaways now that the supercell store is here in the u.s i gave away four gold passes this last month as a test i'm going to be shooting for somewhere between five and ten a month just depending on how much revenue i'm getting i don't want to like break the bank giving up my own money to give back to the community but i'm happy to take the revenue that i'm getting from the community and pour it back in if it was super easy i would do more of them every single month but it does take time and effort for me to befriend somebody in the game and then befriend them as a supercell id and then donate it 24 hours later because there are some hoops through which i have to jump but you guys are worth it i really appreciate all the support and i will check you guys out on the next podcast